Hello, my friends. Welcome back to The Conversation. My name is Chad Brown. In this episode, I'm with Dan and Adrian once again. And today we talk about becoming an accessible leader or being an accessible leader. You know, so many of the leaders that we work with talk about having access to them, having an open, quote unquote, open door policy. And we actually dive into it, talk about how that's oftentimes just lip service or isn't actually what you're offering. And that accessibility comes long before any kind of breakdown or type of communication that the people you lead need to relay to you. So we dive head deep into this. It was a fantastic conversation and so many ahas for me personally, and I hope you find a lot of value in it. Before we dive in, I want to remind you about The Change Imperative. It's an ebook that Dan wrote on all things change management and the characters in your groups and your teams who will show up when you're trying to change anything in the business. And it's important to understand how they operate, what they're thinking, and how they affect the change in the company. You can go to change-imperative.com, get your free copy of Dan's book, The Change Imperative. All right, let's dive in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Conversation, the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. I'm here with Dan and Adrian. How are you, fellas? Doing great. Excellent. Thanks. Good to be here. So great to be here. Uh, I'm excited about today's conversation. This relates directly to um, a great training meeting that we had with a recent client. And uh, we were talking about the topic of being accessible as a leader. What does it mean to be accessible to your team? How might that look? How might you be giving them mixed messages in your accessibility and non-accessibility? And I just wanted to, I think this will be a fun uh, conversation to explore what's possible here for those of our listeners who want to be an accessible leader, want to have, I know for me and a lot of my coaching with business owners and team leads, you know, they say that they, a problem or a conflict or a breakdown arises and they say that they didn't see it happening or they say that nobody mentioned anything to them. Mm-hmm. And I always find it interesting when we dive into that conversation to ask the question, well, how can you, like, what do you own in this breakdown of not knowing? Like, how do you have a team of people working for you day in and day out? working with you and you didn't know this was going on, you know, and and there's multiple levels to that conversation. Of course they knew something was going on and yada, yada, yada. But most the, their biggest complaint is, well, that nobody came to me. And uh, that's often not, (laughs) not often not the case. If we dissect it, it's often the case that, that that person made bids to, to have an open conversation with them and the bids were not accepted. Yeah. Yeah. We'll use a good word there, bid. Most people don't. Bids meaning offering, right? Like, yeah. Like they're, and that could be as simple as, hey, uh, it could just be as simple as, you know, I thought about what you said and I, I, there's a lot for me to think about. That could be a bid, right? Yep. They're just letting you know that they're open to what you said or they're open to something. They're trying it's in, I see it a lot in my marriage where, you know, you get in a fight and, or an argument, fight argument, depends on what level you're at. <laughs> and then um, afterwards, there, you know, somebody, somebody's got to extend the olive branch, right? And the olive branch could be as simple as, oh, hey, do you want to watch, a, you know, this movie tonight? I know you like that movie. To, you know, some simple invitation to connect again 
And the other person either receives it, which creates the cycle going the opposite way, you know, from downward starts to spin up, or they could use that bid to make the other person pay and continue to drive the cycle downward. Um, Dr. Gottman <clears throat> does this. He has a, he researches marriage, but this is not just marriage. It's every relationship, but he, he videos and they put all the different electrodes on to see what the reactions are. And, you know, they've discovered in their, what they call the love lab, that 90% of a breakthrough, a breakdown get, that gets resolved starts with how you, you start it up, right? How you bring it to somebody. So how you are accessible to the breakdown when somebody brings it to you is going to have a lot to do with whether or not you ever get to talk about it or whether or not it sneaks up and surprises you, right? Because if, if you don't talk about it, then it surprises you. If you don't pick up the signal, then it surprises you. There's some, you know, it's a little hors d'oeuvre. We, our shit hors d'oeuvre example, you know, push the hors d'oeuvre away, comes back as a sandwich. Push the sandwich away, comes back as a two-course, then three-course, then eight-course meal. And I don't know if we're always aware of when we're pushing it away, I think. I know I've, I have often, I've done that and not even been aware that I missed the bid. And then I get mad at the other person, but you know, given the given the differential, if I'm if I'm the manager, I have the power of the pen. There's a power differential that's going to probably influence how the other person brings something to me that's potentially upsetting. Mm -hmm. And being aware of that, I think, has a lot to do with being able to pick up the signs. But you'd have to want to pick up the signs. Yeah, I'm thinking about the shape of the. The sh what I would call like the shape of the relationship. Yeah. It, first idea that hit me was like the quality of the results comes out of the quality of the relationship. So, you know, what, what if you're a leader listening to this, like what is the quality of the relationship you have between those that report to you? So there's a, there's an established relationship. It's a hierarchy. There's an established set of agreements between you and they, but the quality is, is ever fluctuating. The quality of that, engagement is ever fluctuating and it is either you are investing in it and it warms up and it gets what I, this, this is the shape idea. It gets wider or you don't invest in it and it's co it cools down and it gets more narrow, right? Where like, Hey, we used to have 45 minute meetings and it was really a robust conversation. And you guys talked about ideas and it was really forward leaning and really positive. Now we have a 10 minute check-in and they just give you bullet points. Now there's nothing wrong with a 10 minute check-in with bullet points, but if it's there because the quality of the relationship has narrowed or you're not or you know you're not as available to them anymore or or they only bring you bullet points they don't bring you what they used to bring you all of those things are indicators of conversations that uh, that could really generate the type of relationship where they would want to bring you everything now and and what you might hear back so completely with you on that like yeah right and so what the we're talking about context here. That's probably the most, I think the most challenging aspect of this conversation is it isn't something you're doing. It isn't a thing you do. It isn't, uh, like you, I have an open door policy means nothing. It only, it only mean, it means something in the context of the one who declares it. Right. So if I'm Adolf Hitler and I say I have an open door policy, I have a very different way of being that tells people exactly what my door is open for. Right. 
and that there's certain danger coming in my room if you're going to come in and say something in this open door that I don't like. Right. So to say that you have an open door policy is to miss the point. And in this particular case, we have a character who who I love his second his backup. Don't give me this psychological stuff, which you what you just did, Adrian, he would consider as a psychological. I don't do this. People just man up or they get out. You know, they they have something to say. They got to be an adult and come in and say it. So you can imagine how a young engineer might feel. If he's got something to say or she's got something to say that is counter or is challenging the whatever's been the the, uh, the, the order of the day and right. they want to they want to question it. Well, yeah. I'm sure we're going to think a long time about that, given that context. Right now. But if the context is, hey, if this guy's always been all right, yeah, open door. Love to hear anything you have to say. What stay what you say stays in here. You know, uh, I'm wide open. And if they get that, well, then the door is going to be wide open for them. Right. So the open door, it's it's who's got the door open. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard. to Like, it's the way of being that determines the nature of the door of the open door is what I'm getting at. And, yeah. And, and, yeah. and any talk about way of being gets crunched into, well, I don't talk psychologically. You know, that, I don't need a therapist. Which is a yeah. great way to stay away from having to own your way of being. Yeah. Well, I just I would ask I would ask anybody that's listening and, and can and you could maybe relate to that, to the cynicism around it. I just I'll ask you how effective do you want to be? Because you know it's true for you. You know that if someone has ears for you, if they care about you, if they believe in you, if they want you to win, you'll talk to them. You know if if you're if you're shut off, shut down, you know. Um, skeptical of, don't trust, you don't talk to that person. That's just it, right? So it can be in this. Say what you know they want to hear. Of course, Mm -hmm. of course. Yes, yes. You feed them bullshit and blame them for the feeding. (laughs) What they get. I like the way you do that. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, this is, we kind of lost the point of touch, but there's, that's what I'm, I'm, I want to invite people to inspect. And I don't have an, I mean, I do have an agenda for you because I want you to be effective. Anybody that's listening to this and I have a, I have an assertion about what it takes to be effective. But for you that are listening, you just tr- tr- try it on and wonder for a second about the shape of these relationships that of people that report to you and just wonder for, I'm sorry, rarely do we slow down and like zoom out and watch what's happening. We're usually so much on the field. We don't zoom out. You know, I always think about it as a, as a washed up athlete. Now after each game, we'd watch game tape, right? I'm watching every play and how was my footwork and was I positioned well? And what did I not see? What did I see? You know, how, how could I have done this and how could I have done that? And which step did I take all that type of stuff? I watched myself on the field. And that was effective because I could see my be outside myself watching myself. And part of this purpose of this is to wonder for a second about how accessible am I as a leader? And mm-hmm. does that matter to me? But how accessible am I? And, you know, m- might I want to wonder for a minute, give yourself two minutes to wonder what type of relationship do I want to really have? And if you've not wondered that, I mean, probably you're normal if you've not wondered that, because probably you just go to work and just lead, quote unquote, and do your stuff. And they do their stuff and you're either happy with it or not happy with it, either working or not working. Rarely do we get in the engineering seat or get in the driver's seat or the what we call the generative seat of what do I want to generate here? And 
Anyway, if I can find that the source of my frustration is me, I win. Because if I generate, if I can find how I'm generating what's not happening with others around me, then that's good, great news. Yeah. Well, it's, it's you brought it up. I think it's powerful when I find myself wondering what's wrong, bad, broken with it, them, or me. I'm not very open. Yeah. I'm, I'm seeking. I want to be right. I want to be. I want to look good, and they're going to pick that up. Yeah. So it's going to be a pretty skewed conversation, and that way of being, which I, we would we would call survival. I'm in survival because I'm making sure I'm going to come out of this okay. Versus. What, how's the vision going to come out of this? How is what we've come together to accomplish? What matters most to us? What brings us together? How is that going to come out of this conversation? What yeah. is that going to be forwarded, right? And I think when people get that the mission is more important than the ego and or blind spots, like I'm willing to look anywhere I have to, to bring forth this mission, there's a different spirit, a different way of being in the conversation than if I'm constantly on defense yeah. or listening in defense. Yeah. Well, in the, in the first 10 minutes, you guys have touched on every touch point I wanted to touch in this whole conversation. <laughs> We're done. So let me, let me just slow us down for just a second. Okay. Thanks everybody. We're gone right. now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about what this means to be accessible, right? We've already, I, I just, you've, you've mentioned a few things of, in passing of what this might mean to be accessible. But I wanted to get some definition around it, get at least some ideas around what does that mean? Dan, you're talking about your way of being, which yeah. is uh, a great way to talk about it, but uh, maybe some clarity and some context. What does it mean when we're talking about your way of being? And you know, how do we create a being of accessibility? Like, how do we be accessible rather than say we're accessible? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> Give me crickets. I mean, because you're talking about, again, we're talking context, right? There's content, which is like you and I are talking about something. How, I'm, how I come to the conversation is what I mean by way of being, what I've already decided about it, what I'm open to and what I'm not open to, right? How, how open am I and how, so there's two things we've talked about this in previous uh, podcasts is how transparent am I willing to be, which means we're going to get to the issue quickly, at least for me, right? If I'm transparent and how open am I to hear what you have to say about what I've been transparent about? How open, in other words, how willing am I to learn something about what I presented to you about how it exists for you? Or am I just there to reinforce what I've already decided about what I've been transparent about? Now, we have, just to give you an example, we have other clients we work with that are extremely forceful in their view, and they're very transparent about what they want. They have a tendency not to be very open to ideas that may conflict with what they've already decided they wanted. And so they have a tendency to attack those kinds of you know, people uh, ideas when people present them, which gives people the message they ought not present them, even though they feel that what they have to present could be vital to the mission, right? So 
there's two sides of this. How A, being transparent and B, being open to hear anything that comes back out of that transparency to learn, right? Because if there's a blind spot, it's first going to show up like a waste of time, <laughs> right? All blind spots show up with the, the same as wastes of time. And that does, that's not to say there's not a waste of time, but you can't differentiate between a waste of time and a blind spot without looking into it with some rigor. And the tendency is we get that first initial biological response, which is this is bullshit <laughs> or a waste of time. Instead of I get the response, I go, okay, well, I better check into it. Maybe it's not. I wonder what could be here I don't see. Let's just see if it's a waste of time. I think the famous or most popular response is, I don't have time for this shit, which is my response is, well, no, you don't have time for not doing this shit because by not doing this, we actually multiply in orders of magnitude the difficulty we add to a situation when we're not willing to catch it when it's this small, when it starts really tiny. You know, something that could potentially be a problem because I didn't want to look at it later on. It cost me a lot more time and energy. You know, the old saying, one degree off on Earth, if you're shooting at the moon, you're one degree off on Earth, you're thousands of miles off when you get to the moon. I, uh, I, in these types of conversations, I, I, I find myself wanting to slow down even more and say, why is it even worth having the conversation? That's, you know, that's where I always go to because here's why I do it is that if I'm not doing something, I already have a reason why I'm not doing it. It's not just like I didn't have time. It's not just like it didn't occur to me most of the time. But it's like there's actually already a belief. This is the getting back to the context. I already have a belief, like a reason or an excuse about why it's why I can't, why I won't, why I shouldn't have to, why they ought to, why, you know especially in COVID times, why I don't have any more bandwidth. That's a fun one to hide behind. I don't have any more bandwidth for this. This is too hard. Blame X, Y, Z, whatever. And I get myself off the hook. So wondering about why I would want to like, even just to tune the relationships, right? We, those openness and transparencies are practices that will have fruit in a relationship. Yeah. You, you know? made me... <laughs> That's true. My daughter, whenever we have a tough conversation, she's excellent at this. She'll say, well, Dad, if it was true, would you want to know? <laughs> I think that, you know, that's what we do a lot of. And then what do you say with that? I know. You, you must say yes. It's such a perfect yeah, role. I Otherwise, I'm an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm stuck in my ways and I wouldn't want to know. Yeah. I wouldn't want to know the truth. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know what, something that I hear in what you guys are talking about that maybe isn't as explicit as we could make it is that the accessibility comes before the breakdown is even a thing yeah. before the, the yeah. before we even know what the possible breakdowns are, the setup for the accessibility is, is being worked on every day. Yeah. I'm thinking about, about actually the conversation we were referring to with the leader we were talking about and Eventually, you know, he shared his his um, ownership, right, about the leader that had been that he had neglected, essentially. And it just dawns on me. I mean, if you're a leader, you know, 
mean, part of what we sign up as a leader is we're going to disappoint people. We really are, right? Because we can't, we, we're not going to meet all of their needs that are even spoken, let alone all their unspoken needs, let alone being able to manage all the complexities of what's happening in the market, on the teams. That's just in the business context. Plus, being a leader and you're leading a household, probably. I mean, there's just a lot going on always. I was going to so, say, welcome to the human experience. You're going exactly. to disappoint everybody that's in your influence. That's right. So that's why eager leaders are dangerous. I mean, I love, I like the reluctant leader because he's got some sense of what he's about to step into. I know for me, it's it's terrifying at times because you know, you're gonna, you, you can't, you're gonna blow it. You always blow it, but it's actually that's part of the process. So, reluctant leaders tend to be, I find, uh, more efficient in the sense that they're they have a cognizance, they have an awareness of the fact that they're they're gonna fail, and they're concerned about the people they love, like they they lead. Yeah. We stole that from you, Adrian. You were talking about um, disappointing people. Well, it's good. I'm just, I mean, uh, that was all the long display before. I was just going to say, you know, if you're a leader, you're probably disappointing people and you know it. And it's okay. Like, cut yourself some slack. Like, you're going to do that. And it's probably worse than you think, by the way. You know, if you have it, because, you know, there's reasons why even me as a leader, I don't go around and do feed, get feedback from all the people I work with. I don't want to know sometimes, damn, I'm doing my best over here, you know, blah, blah, blah. The, but, you know, as a leader, you're going to disappoint people and you know you are. And that's a part of, I think part of that is why the accessibility isn't wired into the relationship. I think that's why part of it is because you might not have answers and you'd rather them figure it out on their own thinking you have an answer. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. I can identify with that. The other thing is, it's dynamic. So, you know, re, it's like redeclaring accessibility, not just for the other person, but for me. Like, yeah. oh, wait, I'm here for you. I am. I'm not only telling you I'm here for you, but I'm actually reminding myself. I I was thinking about right. a story. I we we had a client years ago, a big client, like it was a million dollar, multi million dollar deal. We did. It was for an organization in their sales organization and. It was one of our best case studies, but we this this guy had some of his people come through one of our public trainings on negotiation and sales, and they really liked it, and they wanted to bring it into their organization. So they got the HR person to connect me with the senior VP of sales, and um, so the idea was I would interview four or five of their sales leaders and then give them a report and t- show them what I could do, tell them what I heard and in the culture, because they, this is a legacy company, been around a long time, control 25% of the market they're in. So they're big and they're controlled. And they didn't think they could take any more of the market. Right? And so after I did this interview, these interviews, I submitted this report. I had five questions I asked these guys and submitted the report. And I get this call from the senior VP. And she says, you know, the uh, from the HR VP. And she says that God, the sales, the senior VP of sales is really livid. He wants to, you know, he wants to he wants to talk to you. He wants to find out, you know, he's mad. I don't think he wants to do the deal, but he wants to find out how the hell you came up with these these assertions from those five questions, right? So I said, sure, let's talk. It sounds good to me. So we get online and and uh, this guy's name is Bill. And he's, Billy says, uh, all right, get online and the HR VP introduces us. And I go, nice to meet you, Bill. And he goes, you may not think that by the end of this call. And I went, okay, tell me what's on your mind. Well, hell, I don't know how you came up with all this this uh, psychobabble 
uh, here from five questions. I mean, what do you mean my people don't tell me everything that's going on, that I'm not accessible? What do you, I mean, I've been here for, you know, 20 years and I, we're, you know, hold to the statistics and everything. I go, okay, good. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And, and at, the end, at the end, he goes, so tell me, what do you mean? I said, okay, well, you know, do I want this job, Bill? Yes, I do. But I want it on really straight terms. And so let me just be honest with you. No, I'll give you an example. I don't need it. I, I use those five sentences. I can see it upsets you, but I can show you in this call how it shows up. What do you, okay, tell me. I said, well, you know, we got on the call and so-and-so introduced me to you. And, and I said, nice to meet you. And you said, you may not think so by the end of this call. Now, if I was worried because you have the power of the pen, and if I was really worried about getting this deal and then I had to get it, I would be nervous about it and probably wouldn't tell you everything I thought I needed to say because I'd be afraid of losing the deal. But since I'm okay with losing the deal, I'm going to tell you whatever I think so you are clear. And so the way you talk to me is a perfect example of your way of being that makes you less accessible to your salespeople. And he goes, oh, sure. And you wanted to undress me in front of people? And I said, who said I would do that, Bill? Long silence. I said, I never said I'd do that. If there was any upset, you know, I promise you I would come to you. And whatever you tell me, I'm going to represent you. And when he heard that, no problem. I, I just said, I'm being straight with you now because that's what you wanted. But if we do this in the training and you, something comes up, I'll talk to you privately about it and we can make corrections, either me or you or both, and we'll make it work. And he lit, it was amazing. All of a sudden, I had a, we became really good uh, colleagues. You know, in fact, we met in Italy together and we spent some time over, you know, we became friends. We golfed together after that. But he, he, he was willing to consider that. What he was concerned about was, me not undermining his authority in front of his team, which makes sense. I don't think he even realized that till we got into the conversation. But I know being transparent and being able to listen to him made a big difference. And I think those are the kinds of misunderstandings that if we don't get them to the surface, they often kill a deal that could be very valuable. That was actually one of the best uh, deals we've ever done. We got some of the best results we ever got. And, you know, it was a three-year project. Really excellent time. So... That's great. I, I was, I've been thinking recently about my own, an example from my own life about this with my middle daughter. She's, uh, I love her to death. She's spunky and fiery and she is the one that I have the most uh, personality conflict with. And one of the things I'm committed to as a dad is that my, hopefully my kids will always feel like I'm accessible to them. You know, so right now that looks like uh, I'm getting in this fight with this girl at school or whatever. We're, we're, we're disagreeing or whatever. And I want them to be able to come to me with that or I want them to want to come to me with that kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, because when the stakes get higher, when it's more like uh, sex and drugs and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, I want to be in that conversation with them. <laughs> in an open and transparent way. That's my hope. That's my commitment to them. But what I've noticed is that, especially with my middle daughter, is that I tell her that she can come to me with anything. And I tell her she can talk to me about anything without judgment or without... Everybody get ready. Put the seatbelt on. 
<laughs> Yet I find myself, I'll catch myself at times doing things and using language that puts her at a distance. It lets her know, right? It lets her know that's far enough. Yep. That tells her, hey, I don't have time for this, or I'm not comfortable with this, or this bothers me, or this annoys me. And um, it's it's just interesting to observe that. When I catch it, it's an opportunity for me to stop and say, whoa, here's what I value with you. Here's what I want our relationship to be like. What I just did right on. is not going to grow that. It's not going to produce that. And I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? But that's important what you did. That's a declaration, right? That's a stand. You're re-upping, right? You're like re-declaring. Here, wait a minute. I missed that. Here's who I really am for you. And what's crazy is you're I've noticed that circumstances start to align that way. Like, like circumstances, meaning my thoughts and feelings start to align with that declaration. If I continue to keep making it, I can hear more and more. I can contain more and more. And she she can freely communicate. Yes, yes. And and the noticing for me becomes more potent. Yeah. When that's my frame, that's my that's my commitment. It's, it's not that I'm perfect at my commitment, it's that I notice when I'm <laughs> what, what you, but what are your I wonder what for you keeps you true to that? Like what keeps you coming back to that? To that commitment? Yeah, to like redeclaring that. Uh I I have a vision for my relationship with my kids when we're adults that it's like, uh, hopefully, my my desire would be that we're best friends. Yeah, the, yeah. I did right, this book here. I've been reading it just because I have grandkids, and my daughter gave it to me, and she, and she said she felt like this guy captured what we worked on, which is basically uh, why parents need to matter more than peers, and the the difference it makes to like the passing of wisdom and tradition and value into the next generation is creates a tremendous platform for them to build life on and some continuity in that life. Right. A sense of legacy as it goes uh, and and a sense of value. Yeah. Yeah. The title of the book that Dan was holding up was called hold on to your children. Oh, hold on to your kids. Sorry. My parents parents need to matter more than peers. Yeah. It's cool. Brought up because my daughter gave it to me. So, Dad, read this. It sounds like kind of what we were we went through as kids with you. You know, I told I read it. I went, well, we were a lot more sloppy than this. I wish I had these distinctions (laughs) because there's some great distinctions in here. Well, Dan, you're one of the you're. I mean, I've my my view of your relationship with your children personally has been very limited up to this point, but it's still just the way you talk about them. And I've had conversations with both your children and the way that they talk about you is, is a model for me of what I want to create with my kids. And, and that's, that is the driving factor at this point. I know this, we're building the foundation right now. Well, I mean, in times like this, I don't think there's anything more important personally than having a family that's tight and, you know, aligned with each other and supporting each other, even if you think differently. Mm -hmm. And we think differently in my family. Yeah. Our kids are 180 degrees from each other. (laughs) I hope this all people get this relates to accessibility, right? I mean, particularly with your kids, if you're not accessible, you're going to end up being reactive because all these things are going to blow up on you along the way, right? You won't see them coming. Yeah, I, I think it's worth 
I mean, the dynamic is the is the dynamic with kids is the same as dynamic at work, right? So if you're a leader, you have the gun, right? You have the authority. And so that's that's what makes it the same, except for it's harder with adults than kids, I would say. There are well, there's just different strings attached. Everybody's got strings attached. There's different strings at work than at home, but you're also dealing with a much more, in some ways, much more complex and skilled resistor as an adult. Yeah. You know, so even more so to say, even to to be with your to be in an active conversation with yourself about and decide for yourself, you know, what type of leader do I want to be? What type of because being accessible is going to be a part of the quality of leadership that you exude, that you are to the organization. I mean, I've been thinking this whole time about if you wanted to know how accessible you were beyond your own view of yourself, it'd be a great exercise is to go ask. Well, man, yeah. That's where I was going to go. Yeah, to go ask. And you might ask something like to one of your, let's start with one of your trusted people, which would be kind of a layup. You know, hey, hey, are there things that you know I want to hear about? There's things you think I don't want to hear about? What are those things? What are those things, right? Or even just to simply, hey, what's my reputation around here? You know, that's a pretty vulnerable question, which you might not want to wade into those waters, but you could ask that and not die. You could actually ask it and, you know, really be able to move forward faster on the back end of that. Because even just asking the question is a form of accessibility. Like, hey, I'm, it matters to me what you think about me. Not because of my ego. Not like I'm that sensitive, and most of us are that sensitive. Of course, we care and want to be liked and all that stuff. But you want them to think well of you for them, right? You want them to know that, hey, in good times, you've got a celebration partner. In hard times, you've got a support system. In you know challenging times, you've got a challenger to be with you and help you think through things like help your people think about and really frame the conversation about how you want to be seen from their viewpoint for the sake of the mission, right? This is the quality of the relationships matters, but it's also tandem with what we're saying is the quality of the relationship, the quality of the conversation and trust that's happening there. is a hundred percent connected to outcomes. Well, yeah, I, 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 but that's, that's, you say that so clearly, but I, I don't know. I know it, I constantly have to remind myself of that. Sure. I, that the quality of the relationship, to be honest with you, I mean, you were talking about, I find it harder to be with the kids because I find it harder to let, I, I, I find myself being more of a caretaker with my children. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to feel the brunt of what they need to feel the brunt of, right? Like they yeah. need to go through. My grandfather used to say, you can't explain your way out of what you behaved your way into. He used to tell me that all the time, right? Yeah. And uh, I noticed that when you said that I have a harder time with my kids because I'm, I think I'm more selfish in the sense that I don't want to feel their, when they hurt, I hurt. So a lot of times I'm rescuing myself when I, when I think I'm doing it for them. Yeah. And, and I've been told that by both of them, but you know, it's interesting to have those kinds of conversations. It's like the kind of feedback you not necessarily want to hear, but it's good for you. It brings you to the surface. Yeah. Well, you've got, you've got a very, very connected, I mean, Chad even alluded to, you got a very connected relationship with your kids. You haven't really seen them as problems to solve as much as I think most parents. 
But when we, when we talk about in the work in the work context, you know, these are the types of things as we experience that high performing leaders take a moment to wonder about. But you know, high performing they could be high performing, they may not be. But I mean, you could be high performing and not take this into account. Sure. Right, because we have a client like that; it's performing really high. But these things tend to be way farther down the line, and I think you pay in the long run. Even if you do well, it's hard to enjoy. Like, like I've been in organizations where they're high performing, and one guy said to me, "You know, we're killing it here. We're wildly successful, yet nobody feels like we're wildly successful. Everybody's defending themselves, right?" So that's the danger of it: is that people can't then even enjoy the victories, and then and then most. Most probably they don't learn enough from the failures because they're too busy protecting themselves from the attack that can tend to come in the culture, right? Yeah. When you say high performing, yeah, I agree. I think real meaningfully high performance cultures, right? Like there's meaning yeah. in it and it's valuable, right? Sure. Well, if you put any, if you put anything on a long enough timeline as part of what I'm talking about as well, you know, yeah. you can really be high performing in a season, but you've end up using people and then they, they're discarded after that season, they leave or you get rid yeah. of them, or, Good point. Yeah. you know, whatever. The part of what I'll just put out there for folks is to like, to wonder about this. There could be a lot of ground that part of the, the challenge, think about all the challenges that are happening in your business right now. Let's say there are 10, we can make a list of 10. My invitation for you, an experiment for you, is if you if you uh, over, if you uh, increase if you over-index on accessibility and having some of these conversations, how many of those ten would be resolved right away? And if if like if someone's access to you and and access to what is you you is belief you is insight strategy power uh, influence you know all these things that's the you that they're accessing if they could access that. A lot of these would be resolved more quickly for sure. That's what I'm saying. And, and so to try it on, like to experiment with it, um, and just to get out of, I don't have time for this. They shouldn't need this from me. You know, this isn't worth my time. And I mean, I know for me as a human, I get scared of walking with someone through a hard time because I don't want to always walk with them through a hard time. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'll say no to the first time because I'm really saying no to the fifth time in the first time. I'm not going to babysit. Right. Yeah. 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 You bring up a good point. I think if we go in into that exercise where you can actually work is when you want to shut down, when you want to close off, stay open a little longer. Op- see how long you can stay open to the conversation. Just exercise that part. Like when we talk about openness, it's kind of hard to talk about. In, in just openness itself, but where you really where the, the the intersection is is when you want to shut down because you think you shouldn't have to do this. This isn't your job. You don't want to babysit. This is bullshit. This is a waste of time. Those are times where you could take a few more seconds or moments just to be open to and and assess really what's going on there and see if you if you make yourself accessible to what's wanted and needed and whether or not you are the right conversation or not to have or where they need to go to get that. Yeah. So one, one, one that I hear a lot is that, well, that's what I pay them to do. Right. Yeah. Right. This is, that's, that's what they get paid for. Yeah. It's to basically what you're saying is that I pay them to not bother me. Yeah. <laughs> I've been yeah. there. Oh God, I've been there. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. 
But well, yet everybody's been there if they're an entrepreneur at some point where you go, please just be the tool you were hired to be. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, I mean, part of the part of it comes out a lot of like, I never needed that. That's the story I hear a lot. Like, hey, when I was in their shoes, I never needed that. Yeah. They're not you. They're not you, man. So can you get over that? Yeah, and, and your romantic sensation of yourself isn't exactly the way you think of it. <laughs> yeah. Our lens on history might not be that authentic and accurate. Right. No. I'm the hero. Really? A legend in my own mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. I'll let you guys, if you have any final thoughts about accessibility, how we cultivate that. I loved Adrian. I loved your suggestions for questions that you could ask to to gauge. I mean, really, my encouragement from this conversation is if you walk away from this conversation wondering if there's even a little bit, little fragment of wonder for you, if your people think you're accessible or not, my encouragement to you is to go seek feedback. Yeah. Go seek feedback as much as you can. You are looking through all. You're looking at all of this through your lens, and that's the power of of understanding others' experience of you. Is that it's not your own feedback loop. It's not your own silo, um, your own echo chamber, and um, and that invitation can can, as you both said so beautifully, induce the accessibility that you think you want. Yeah. Anything, That's any great. final, any additions to that? Other questions they can ask uh, that that you would ask if you were wanting to know from your team how they experience you? Uh, anything like that for clo- to close up with? I, I mean, just a formal 360 is always valuable and can be done pretty easily. Um, I recommend you do that. Don't do it anonymous. Do it so people, because it can create some uh, breakthrough in, in, in understanding who's willing to speak and who's not. And opening that up, right? Finding out what those messages are. But I think a 360 is valuable. We just did one with a client that worked out real well, and he was courageous about it. And and so was the team. And it really brought a lot of shift transformation of the team. So, yeah, yeah, I, and yeah, I think three. I think a 360 is great. I th- if you need to go formal, that's great. Um, my my wish for most organizations is that they would go beyond the formality, right? Because usually feedback only happens when they have to and it's HR's fault and it's on a calendar and you don't really care about it. So you don't really do it. And it's kind of this horseshit exercise. And you call that, you call that feedback or you call that performance review. Um, but it's not, it's none of that, right? It's like checking a box. What we're standing for here is actually wanting to know what's actually happening. And wanting to know if I'm not who I think I am. Now, that's a pretty dangerous concept. Pretty dangerous concept when, I, when I'm in my ego. Like, I, no, no, I think that they think of me, of course, how I think of myself. But do I want to know if it's worse than I think? And that's, I mean, it is dangerous to yeah. the ego. But there is gold in that is what we're asserting. Is there's gold in at least being open to knowing where I'm missing it. And my assertion to you is that I mean, as most leaders I know, they probably think they are say they would, they're kind of perfectionistic in some kind of ways, but to give up the goal of perfection, which obviously isn't attainable anyway, and it's self, it's self, uh, 
protective by nature always, I say. It's a great uh, distraction. Great distraction. And it's a great place to hide behind. So, mm-hmm. hey, know that you're not perfect. Know that you're disappointing people. And know that if I'm connected to how I'm disappointing them, that conversation is going to generate something new and more productive in the relationship. Or it's going to reveal that somebody that's frustrated with me just wants to be frustrated nonstop and they ought to go do something else. Because, you know, connecting with the leader is a part of the job, right? And serving the leadership is a part of the job. So if you don't want to, wonderful, go find another team to pester. Here, we're going to have productive conversations. So I want to hear the bad news. Tell me now. Let's go. And then that's the possibility in, in the accessibility, I say. But, um, you know, we need a lot of, you know, grace for ourselves because, you know, it's going to, it's hard. It's hard. This part's the part of the hard part of leadership is looking in the mirror. So um, that's why I think there's a lot of power. And for leaders that feel the weight of leadership, this takes the weight off a little bit. You know, if I have disappointed and, and we talk about the disappointment or talk about what's missing and the relationship gets tighter, the load is lighter. Yeah. I, and I can say, man, I like being managed. I like when you and Chad push back, you do a coffin and that helps me think more right? It gets me sharper because it adds your expertise to areas I don't have expertise in. Mm-hmm. I, I really, personally, I like it. Even if there's a little edge in the beginning of it, it always seems to turn out far more productive. We always seem to make better decisions than if I just made them on my own. Yeah. I can, I, I so relate to that, Dan. I, you know, whenever I'm leading somebody or e- even being led by somebody when they push back, you know, there is that first initial, well, come on, like I got to protect this idea. Mm-hmm. But initially, or, but after that first knee jerk, it's like, yes, now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. Now we're, we're going to discover something if we are, if we're both open to this conversation and yeah, like you said, better results happen. Yeah. Now we're two, not one. Yep. Now we're three and not one. Right. That's right. Six pairs of eyes are always better than two. <laughs> That's right. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. This has been great. Awesome. Love you guys. Bye-bye, everybody. Adios. Well, friends of the podcast, thank you so much for joining us this week. If this podcast has helped you or entertained you at all, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. That'll help us reach more people and grow this community. And finally, if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad at takenewground.com. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll meet you back here next week for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. 